Home isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Like curling up in a comfy chair as you watch the world go by. Good afternoon. Which is why at Delta, our people do our best to make you feel at home long before you get there. Delta, keep climbing. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And now, now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow, now is there? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast with host Eddie Trunk. Hey everybody, it's Eddie Trunk and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thank you for checking it out. And uh, remember, as I remind you each and every podcast, every interview you hear, on the Eddie Trunk Podcast, originated on my Sirius XM radio show, which is called Trunk Nation, and can be heard live Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 Eastern on Faction Talk 103, or anytime on the Sirius XM app. If you live in the U.S. or Canada, which means you can get Sirius XM, and you are not listening and don't have Sirius XM, and you only listen to this podcast, you're getting just a tiny fraction of what I do on a daily basis on the radio. So hope you come on board and join me. So uh, remember also to follow on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook page for info and updates on everything happening in the world of rock. And of course, everything happening with my various broadcasts as well. This week, we've got two podcasts for you, two guests, very different stories here. We're going to lead with Charlie Benanti, who, of course, is best known as the drummer in Anthrax, still is the drummer in Anthrax, but also these days, he is the drummer in the new version of Pantera, which is currently on tour. Charlie called in to my radio show, Trunk Nation, a day or two after Pantera played their very first show ever with this lineup in Mexico. And we had a great conversation, and he gave us some great insights about how that whole show went. And we also got some anthrax info out of him as well. Also keep in mind, uh, breaking news that just happened since this interview took place is that Pantera bassist Rex Brown uh, missed a Pantera show and may miss all of the South American dates because of health concerns. Some are saying it's actually COVID-related. So get well to Rex. And obviously a blow early on to Pantera here to go out there now with just one original member using a sub bass player while Rex recovers. So that is new news since this interview took place, obviously, uh, after we we did this initial interview after the very first show. Obviously, uh, you know, Rex was fine and played that first show. So Charlie getting us updated on what's going on with Pantera and some anthrax stuff. And right now. Phil Anselmo or Rex Brown, Pantera's two founding members, are really not doing interviews. I know both of them very well. 
uh, well, well, Rex very well. Phil, I know, but not extraordinarily well. And I hope to do stuff with them. But right now, they're not talking, which is interesting. However, Zach and Charlie are, and we've covered this from their angle extensively. And again, Charlie, nice enough to call in right after the band played their first show in Mexico. You'll hear that first. And then coming up second, I want to bring you a new artist that I am a huge fan of and really rooting for. His name is Tuck Smith. The band is called Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts. Tuck was supposed to be the original opening act on the stadium tour when it was first announced. That unfortunately fell apart for him, as did the debut album that he made, which was shelved. So that's a tough blow for a young emerging artist to have a record deal and a major tour and lose both of them. But Tuck, who is a resilient guy and a talented guy, uh, decided to make another record and pull himself up and release that record recently. It's a phenomenal album that you should absolutely check out if you're into straight-up hard rock, dual guitar playing. It's called Ballad of a Misspent Youth. Tuck originally was in a band called Biters, which some of you may know and now a solo artist and a phenomenal one, one of my favorite newer artists. So we'll give some love, and hopefully you take the time to discover the music of Tuck Smith. You'll hear his story a little bit coming up second today, but we'll lead with Charlie Benanti of Anthrax on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Charlie Benanti from now Anthrax and Pantera. Man, that sounds weird to say, but uh, (laughs) does that sound weird, Charlie? Yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird to me to, to put myself in that, you know, under under that anthrax and Pantera. But um, I don't know. From last night, from the other show, a Friday night, dude, it, it was uh, it was so awesome, um, and uh, I'm still buzzing about it, you know. Well, let me let me ask you something. So, where are you right now? I am in uh, Monterey, Mexico. So you're. You're in Mexico. So did you, this, this Hell in Heaven festival, did you play with both Anthrax and Pantera in the same weekend? I did. Uh, Friday, I played with Pantera. Then Sunday night, I played with Anthrax. I thought about that when you first got announced to be doing this. And I'm assuming, and I already know Pantera is going to be on a bunch of things next, uh, next summer, that this could be a pretty great opportunity for you where you could probably do that a lot because i know you still want to do a lot with anthrax too is there going to be a lot of that on your schedule do you do you envision uh, from what i see now it looks like there's a lot of pantera dates in 23 uh and then with metallica announcing the uh, the summer stadium shows that we're going to be a part of uh you know i'll be doing that as well but what about Anthrax? Is there going to be a lot of scenarios where you're going to do what you just did this weekend with like one day Anthrax and one day with Pantera? I mean, if if Anthrax, if it works out, you know, uh, I'll do it. But we would never play the same day. That would kill you, I would think. <laughs> I think so. That would be a lot, yeah. yeah. So, so, so tell me what this was like for you to, to do this. I mean, uh, take me through it. I mean, how did it feel to be up there playing those songs? How do you feel the band did? How, how do you feel the whole thing went? Um, I mean, so basically we get up there and there's a, a big kabuki curtain in front of us and it's the four of us just up there and like Philip came up to the drum rise and we just had this moment where we were just, you know, shaking hands and just kind of 
we were so excited, you know, and then I looked to Rex and then I looked to Zach and we, the four of us just had this connection. And before you know, before I knew it, boom, we were right into playing a new level. And it was, it was off from that point, you know, and uh, I was looking at the set list and I saw the next song coming up and I was excited about that song. And then that song would finish. I looked down and I'm like, Oh, I fucking love this song. Yeah. And then, it was that all night for me, just getting super hyped up about the next songs and what was coming up. So I enjoyed myself. And the one thing I, I spoke to those guys about like months ago, I said, man, let's just try and be in the moment and just enjoy it, you know? And that's what we all did. We just kind of enjoyed it. Who made the set list? Did you guys all come together on that? Did Phil just pick that? I mean, where did the, what what the the stuff you decided to play at least in that first show? How was that put together? Actually, Rex, myself, and Philip, we were on a call, and we basically came up with the set list, you know. And I remember saying to them, you know, you guys are really close to this stuff from uh, from my point of view, like a fan man, these are the songs that, of course, must be played. And, of course, they, they agreed with that. But then there was some deep cuts that we wanted to do, too. And um, they were welcome to it. And we even talked about adding more, more songs to the set list, like, for next year. So everybody's pretty much open. I mean, what, the, the, way, the way I kind of looked at it is, let's, let's try and hit every record. You know, let's try and do a song from every record at least, you know. So that's what we're we're trying to do. I, I didn't, of course, I wasn't at the show, but I I knew instantly right after you guys played, there'd be stuff all over the internet, and there was even I don't know if you know this, even before you guys played, I guess some fan got into the sound check or something and shot some video from you you guys pretty far away during sound check. I don't know if that was the night before or what. Did you see any of that? Yeah, I saw that. That was Thursday night when we went to do like a sound check rehearsal. Um, and we saw all these people like from far away and we knew they were going to be filming. But, you know, what can you do? We tried, we tried to keep it a secret, but you know how it is. You can't. And what about the, there was a moment in the show and again, not being there, I'm just, just stuff I heard about or read online. So you guys had a moment in the show for Vinny and Dime. Was it during Planet Caravan? Did you do that? Correct. Before Planet Caravan starts, we have this video that runs with a little piece of uh, the song Cemetery Gate and basically a tribute to Dime. I mean, Dime and Vinny are all over the place, you know, you know, they're on my drum kit, you know, Zach has um, patches with them, but even in spirit, they, they are there. And before, uh, before we went on, uh, Sterling, Sterling Winfield, who was uh, very close to, to Don and Vinny, he basically engineered the last three records that Pantera did. Um, he brought me a pair of Vinny's old gloves and he brought me um one of Daryl's old wristbands that he wore. And I immediately put the wristband on and played the show with that wristband. And I put the, the gloves in my pocket. So I had both of them with me that night. Charlie, what was the prep like leading up to doing this first show? Like as far, how much rehearsals did you do? How, how did you, when you finally got in the room with the other three guys, how quickly did it all come together? Tell me a little bit about getting it up and going. 
you know, when I, when I talked to Philip back, it was like the end of December about this. Um, that day I hung up the phone and I immediately started to just, you know, get my head into Pantera mode and just figure things out because I, I knew these songs, but I didn't know how to approach playing the songs. How am I going to do this? And the one thing I wanted to do is um, I just wanted to play it like Vinny. I wanted, when the fans hear it, when anybody heard it, I wanted them to be able to close their eyes and, um, you know, I wanted it to sound like Vinny. Well, from what I heard online, you you absolutely pulled that off. I mean, it's such a distinctive way that he played and the drums are such obviously a huge part of those songs that you absolutely nailed it from what I could hear from, from just what I heard after the first show, how did you feel about how you did? Did you feel that way? Were you confident in what you did? Did you finish that first show saying, well, I got to work on this or I, I didn't, I mean, cause us as fans, it sounds great, but I know you as musicians, most are pretty nitpicky and perfectionist about stuff. How did you feel about you personally, your first performance? I mean, I felt good about it. Uh, there was a couple of things that I'm going to, you know, uh, just play a little differently. Not not so much um, the parts, but um, I think we were all a little bit, you know, the adrenaline was going. I wanted to just pull some songs back a bit, you know. And uh, but, but, you know, t- tonight we're playing here tonight, and I think I'm going to just kind of, relax a little more and just kind of settle down. I mean, it was the first show, so it was expected, you know, we're human. I'm not playing it to a click track, you know? So it's, so tonight I think I'm going to lay, lay back a little bit more. I'm psyched about tonight because we have, uh, you know, Judas Priest is on the bill, uh, merciful fate. Um, I'm excited to see them. Are you guys closing at these? Are you the, are you one of the headlining acts? Yeah. Yeah. So you're doing what? Like, how long's the set? About seventy minutes or so? Yeah, yeah, like seventy-five minutes. I think we played like maybe eighty minutes the other night. And as far as what you played and and what you're scheduled to play tonight, have as have you and the band talked about keeping this pretty much as the the set for now, or do you want to change stuff in and out as you go? Um. We're going to keep it for the, for this run here in South America. We're going to keep it as is, but you know, next year I, you know, I could see a song or two being dropped in place for another song. You know, we already talked about that the other day. And what's it like for you playing with Rex? I mean, for the longest time, you know, you played with Frank and Anthrax for decades and you're locked in with him as a bass player, but obviously you're, yeah. you're locking in playing with a whole different guy. What was it like syncing up with Rex? Well, that's the thing, man. I didn't know how we would uh, kind of come together and when we would make the connection. But I got to be honest with you, when I was, I went down to New Orleans in September and it was just me, Rex and Philip. And after the first day, Rex and I were just, we, we had such a connection. And he said to me, he's like, dude, when I close my eyes, I feel like it's Vinny up there. So that made me feel so good when he said that and Philip said the same thing too so I was so happy about that because honestly I mean I really did my homework I mean we're talking these little tiny little 
nuances, you know, things that maybe people wouldn't hear, you know, I'm putting them in there because it's important to me to, to deliver it just like Vinny would. And what about the kit you're playing versus what you play with anthrax? Is it the same or is it, is it similar to what Vinny had or from, from the, from a, a gear standpoint, are you playing something, the same kit you always play? Tell me about that. No, no, it's a totally different configuration. I'm playing more like Vinny's kit, the way Vinny played it, because I felt I wanted to play the kit like that because it gave me a, a bit more of a challenge, you know, and I can't add more drums to it because I just wanted to have the two toms in the front, the floor toms, you know, so I'm just sticking totally to the way he had it, and I want to play exactly like he had it, and it sounds exactly like he had it too, so that's how I approach this. And uh, how do you think Zach did? I mean, from what I heard, he did great, but he's in the same boat as you. He's got a, you know, he's got a channel, something that somebody did that was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, obviously the common bond here is you guys were all tight and all friends, but still tackling the material as a listener, as a Pantera fan. Uh, what? How did you think Zach handled everything? I thought Zach was awesome. I mean, you know, we spent over two weeks in New Orleans, uh, the four of us, and, like, every night we would just we would play and play and play, and then afterwards we would just hang out and talk and just bond with each other. And by the time that we got to the end of the rehearsals, man, we were just kind of on fire. And I, I thought Zach did an excellent job. And, you know, Zach throws Zach in it, too, you know? Yeah, and the, 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 for me too, it's like I'm doing it as much like Vinny as possible. And then sometimes I'll put a little bit of myself in this part, but I don't want to do something that people are going to go, oh, dude, you overplayed that part. You know what I mean? It's like I got to keep it, I, I got to be, you know, respectful to the song. And, and what, what was, I am at, look, I've been to Mexico a bunch of times for rock events. I know the fans there, you've gone there countless times and, you know, with Anthrax, the fans in Mexico are unbelievably passionate about metal and, and the stuff they love. Uh, that metal show aired in Mexico, so I had a lot of opportunity to go there. And even when I got there a couple times, there were people at the airport waiting for me. It's crazy. I can't even imagine oh, yeah. what it was like for, the, for, for you guys to go there as Pantera. What, what was it? What, and you're still in Mexico. What, what's the reaction been like to the, from the fans? What was it like? in the audience from, from where you sat watching the crowd and just being there and hearing from fans about this? Oh, that, that's the thing, because, you know, we would always say we, we tour in Europe, we tour in America, you tour Canada, you go to Japan. But when you come to Mexico, or South America, it's a totally different ballgame, man, because these people, like you said, they're so passionate about their music and when you, when we started to kick in, man, you couldn't even, it was so loud, like the amount of like the cheering and stuff. And it was just amazing. And Sunday night with Anthrax, I mean, they were singing the song about us. Cause Scott, you know, Scott was like, thank you for being here. It's our 40th anniversary. And then they started singing their song and it just blew us away. You know, it, it, it's amazing. I mean, I wish everybody can understand this and have, have this type of feeling. But when you come down here, these people are going to treat you like gold. Yeah, they are super, super, super into it. 
I got to tell you, man, I mean, it's, I saw Pantera, first time I saw Pantera was at a club in Asbury Park, New Jersey. There's probably 40 people there. Nobody knew who they were called the Fast Lane. And uh, I saw them. So I, I, you know, I saw them a lot over the years. So, you know, I'm, I'm close to your age. So we kind of grew up with the whole thing. But what's really cool about you guys doing this is, as you know, there's a huge segment of a fan base that never had the opportunity to see the band live, including my producer, Joel, who's like, you know, he's in his mid thirties. He's never, he never had a chance to see this stuff played live. So to me, that aspect beyond the fact that you and Zach are friends, and of course I know Rex and Phil as well. And I'm happy uh, for, for all of you guys to have the opportunity to do this. I think it's really cool that although it's certainly with all respect to anybody in the band, we would all agree. It cannot be the same because it's half, not the same band, but it's it's gonna it's clearly gonna be great. It's already been great, and it's great that younger people will have a chance to see what I'm calling basically Pantera 2.0. Yeah, this is never it was never a reunion. How could it be a reunion without Vinny and Diamond? I mean, and it's you know I, I sometimes people will send me something and and I see things online and it's so disrespectful to both. Daryl and Vinny, and it's so disrespectful to us too. And it's just like, man, if you don't want to come, you don't have to come. But uh, for, for one of the first things I said to Philip on the phone, I said, this to me is more on an emotional level than any other level. I mean, this means a lot to me personally um, to go out there and represent those guys and represent the Pantera name. Um, and that's all it ever worked for me. I don't, I don't care about, you know, uh, financially and stuff like that. It, this to me, I, I had to do this. I, I didn't want to see anybody else playing these songs but me up there. When did you first get the call to do this, Charlie? When did this first hit on your radar? What was the first approach to you when you thought this would be a possibility? And, and who initially reached out to you about it? It was like December last year, Philip, you know. I would talk to Philip, you know, here and there and stuff. And then he called me and we just had to talk about it. And then Rex called me after that. And, and, um, I was so, I was so excited about it. And I, I, you know, I said, thank you for, for thinking of me. And, you know, and they were like, there was nobody else. And that made me feel really good because they knew my relationship with Daryl and they knew my relationship with Vinny. Um, and I love those guys, and I love these two guys just as much. Wow! So you so that the initial reach out for this was a year ago. So it basically was a year from idea to playing the first show. Pretty much, yeah. Wow! And where do you see it going, Charlie? I mean, I know that there was I, I think it was you in a different interview or something said you'd be open to making new music. I mean. Do you see this as being like an ongoing long-term thing or do you see it really being as like a couple years to celebrate Pantera and then that's that? What's your vision for it personally? I mean, that's how I see it. Well, you know, we're celebrating the music of this band. I mean, the other, yeah, that interview, someone said, man, it'd be great to hear new music. And like jokingly, I said, oh yeah, I got tons of riffs. That's exactly how that happened. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to make new music, you know? Because I'm sure people read that and they were like, there is no Pantera music, you know, without Diamond Vinny. It's like, no, I didn't say it like that. So, but who knows? You know, I think we're just taking this kind of 
day by day, you know, let's finish this South American run and then recharge for, for next year. And that's it. And this is, again, this is a celebration of the music of Pantera and the celebrating Vinny and Daryl. And as far as playing live, do you envision doing like, I know anything can happen and it's not all probably completely locked in, but what we're seeing is you guys jumping on. Obviously what Metallica is doing is crazy. And we can talk about that because that's unbelievable to do different nights, different sets, different opening acts, two nights in every city. And, and you guys, I know are part of that, but do you envision with Pantera, it being like festivals, special events, things like that, or do you, or has there been talk of you guys actually going out and doing like a, a three month run playing five nights a week in the U S no, I haven't heard that yet. Um, you know, maybe there will be some shows around the, the Metallica dates, uh, but that's just, I don't know anything as, that far down the line, you know. Right. You know, no, I'm not saying anything like that's been announced. I'm saying, is that something that you guys have talked about, like actually doing a tour like that, or is it going to be more jumping onto things and doing festivals? I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a run of dates at some point, you know, right. um, but uh, it's not, you know, that hasn't been talked about, at least with me, you know, maybe they're putting it together now, you know, I mean, that Metallica announcement came out of nowhere. Well, you didn't, you didn't know you were on that. Nope. <laughs> you didn't. <know. laughs> they better check your calendar, Charlie. You are in another band. You better let them know that. <laughs> No, we all saw it when it came out. We're like, oh wow! Hey, I went. Speaking of Metallica, I went down to. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm sure you heard about the show, but I don't know if you know that they flew me down to Florida a few weeks ago for the Megaforce tribute they did, and they had me go out on stage and talk about John and Marsha to the crowd, and and then they played nothing but songs from those first two records. I mean, it was absolutely amazing, and it was incredible that they did something like that. Did you catch any of that? Did you hear about it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I wanted to go so bad, and I couldn't, I couldn't go. We were, uh, we were away. And, um, yeah, I was bummed out, dude. It was like one of those times when I wish I could have been somewhere, but I couldn't, you know. Um, and I'm glad that you were there to represent. Well, you know, I was super honored that Lars talked to me about it and called me and, and asked me to do that because the reason they asked me to do it was, you know, really shows where their heart was at with that because they knew doing a, a Metallica show, obviously people are just going to show up because they want to see Metallica. It was super important for them that they let everybody know the reason for that show and the history and, and about John and Marsha. So when I met with Lars the night before, he was just like, I don't want you to script anything. He goes, take as long as you want. He goes, I just want you to relay to the audience why we're doing this and why they were so important to us and metal and you. And so I just went out and spoke for like 10, 15 minutes before they played. And then they came out and they had video packages. I mean, they really made it about Johnny and Marsha. It truly was a tribute to them. And sure. It was amazing hearing them play all that early material, but man, what a what an amazing thing for them to have have done, and to uh, you know, to the band that's really you know started obviously Megaforce and 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 everything. I thought it was a really special night. I know they shot the whole thing, and I hope it comes out at some point as well. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, 
speaking like about that band, it's like they never do anything half-assed. If they're going to do no. something, they're going to do it the right way. And they're going to do it from the heart. Um, and when I, you know, Ricky, I talked to Ricky about it, and he said it was such a great night. And it was such an emotional night, especially for them, the kids, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's like, I wish I could have been there. And, um, you know, I'm, for me, I'm so happy that I reconnected with Johnny, you know, and um, I, dude, I, it, I never thought that he, he would be gone or Marshall would be gone like now, yep. you know what I mean? And uh, it was just so crazy. I had spoken to him on Saturday and he died like two days later and I, I just couldn't believe it. I was in shock. I was too, because I didn't know he was sick. He kept it quiet for me. And I did not know he was sick. I knew Marsha was sick. I spoke to him when Marsha passed, but I did not know that he was in that. It was a complete shock when I heard he passed away. Complete shock. I had seen him in November. I went and spent the day with him and Ricky. And it was so awesome. You know, it was like the next day, if you know what I mean. And uh, yeah. we just talked and talked and talked. And I wanted him to come to the show, but he couldn't. He just couldn't, you know, walk that well and... I didn't want to put him through that anyway, you know, but, um, yeah, yeah, man, you know, Johnny, Johnny was someone who I think we all looked up to, you know, he was like a dad to us and Marshall was like a mom to us. And totally. It's so, it's, it's so crazy to me how those times all just flew by so quickly. Totally. And I, you know, belated happy birthday. I texted you on your birthday. You just hit a big birthday, yeah, uh, turning 60. I know. <laughs> so speaking of time flying by, <laughs> tell me about it. I don't feel I, I don't feel that old at all. So that's the crazy thing to me. And like Kirk wrote me uh, like the day before my birthday, and he's like, "Dude, I just went through this the prior week because he he had turned the same age, and he was like, it's just a number, and that's it." Yeah. Well, it's funny you bring up Kirk because the night before Metallica did that show of all the early stuff, uh, they had a closed rehearsal and they invited me to come in and watch. So I literally sat on the stage and watched as they worked out playing stuff from the first two records, like their earliest material. And there was one point where Kirk walks over to me and he's going, holy shit, what the fuck was I playing when I was 21, man? He couldn't even figure... He's, like, trying to figure out his own stuff. And then every, like, three songs, Lars would get off the kit, and he'd walk over to me, be, like, shaking out his arms, going, damn, damn. And I just said to both of those guys, I'm like, yeah, we're not at Lemoore's anymore in 1984. <laughs> totally, totally. And, like, that's the thing that, you know, we when we were younger, we just played these things we were so adventurous you know we just played whatever we, we we felt not that we don't play like that now but it's different nowadays um back then we took more chances i'm like wow i can't believe i played that what was i thinking i, I always say say those things so i understand what kirk means by that yeah it was funny watching him. he just came right over he's like shaking his head he goes i don't even know what the hell i was doing back then it was really really funny hey i won't keep you much longer uh we had i know uh tying in with your other band of course anthrax 
in the last few days, in the last couple of weeks, I had Joey on here talking about his journey tribute. I had Frankie on here talking about his solo EP and I hit both of them with uh, some anthrax stuff because I know you announced another run with BLS and this time with Exodus opening. So you and Zach are spending a lot of time together between these two bands, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we were just talking about that last night. He's like, I'm going to see you again January, February. Like, yes, I will. And then we'll see each other again two, a couple of months after that. So I, I love Zach. I mean, we, we've bonded so much uh, during this whole time from last year with the, the tour we did in the summer and then the rehearsals down in New Orleans. So, wow. um, yeah, I love that dude. He's, he's so awesome. Yeah, and I mean, thankfully, you're you're dealing with now the sober Zach the last 15 years or whatever it's been because we all know if this was the drinking Zach, it might not have been the, it wouldn't have been the same experience. Oh man, I, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, his personality is so great, and uh, you know, I could listen to Zach talk all night because he has these great analogies and just these stories, and it, he's just awesome. Oh, yeah, but you know back in the day when he was hitting it hard, I mean, I had nights with him that you were lucky you got out of there alive. So he, so that part of it's a little more restrained now, thankfully. Yes, yes, thankful for that. Yeah, and so as far as Anthrax, you're going to do that run of dates, another run with BLS, and like I said, Exodus on in the third spot. It's a great triple bill. Where are things at with the Anthrax record? Oh, we actually talked about that last night. We're going to try and get in the studio, um, uh, hopefully maybe sometime in March. And if, if like, I don't know if we're going to record a whole record or just like half of it. And then, I don't know, you know, we've been talking about how we're going to release this, you know, maybe we'll release a few songs and then put the record out. But you will do a full record. It's not going to just be a single or an EP or something like that. No, right? no, it, it will be a full record. Yeah. And there is an Among the Living remix coming, right? Yeah, Adobe Atmos. Uh, Jay Russin has been doing it, and um, it sounds so awesome that I was c completely blown away. Uh, it sounds like we recorded it yesterday. Uh, he, like, it, it's just amazing, and I love the fact that we are, you know revisiting that record and making it sound as great as it did from back then. Jay did an awesome job on it. Yeah. Jay, Jay was telling me as he was working on it, he was telling me what it was sounding like and he was really excited about how it was coming out. When is that going to be released? I, I don't know. I don't have a date yet, uh, but it'll be on Apple music. Of course. So it's, it was basically done for Apple music for that version. It's it, will it come out? on its own is like a packaged record as well, like CD vinyl, or is it only for like the streaming outlets? I think it's just for the streaming outlets. I mean, Universal approached us about it. So they haven't said they wanted to release it like as a, you know, actual CD or something like that. But I think it's basically for now, just for the, the streaming services. All right. Well, listen, man, I won't hold you much longer. I appreciate you doing this and I thank you for the time. And uh, last question before you go, What's your favorite Pantera record? Volga, Display of Power. So that's the one you'll be pushing for to have the most included from the set, I would think. Well, that's the most that's in the set right now. There's yeah. like five songs from that record. <laughs>
And what is it about Vulgar you like the most? Just the material, production, playing, all of it? Um, I think there's a there's just something about that record. It's like one of those records that when you put it on, the first five songs completely just grab you. And it's just back to back, you know, it, it, to me, it's their signature record. I love Far Beyond Driven too, but for me, Vulgar, man, from when you put it on, Mouth for War, into New Level, into Walk, into This Love, it's like, Jesus, fucking hostile. It's just like, oh my God, you know? They were firing off at all, all cylinders. It was just amazing that they wrote all those songs and they're on one record. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, man, it'll be fun to to see where this all goes and uh, and see how this ke- keeps, you know, rolling out and comes together. And again, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this travel safe. Say hi to the rest of the guys and I'll uh, catch up with you soon. Thanks, Ed. Love you, man. And I uh, hope to see you soon. Yeah, you too, man. Love you too. Have a good uh, have a good rest of the tour and the and the shows and I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Take see care. Bye bye. Thanks to Charlie. Great stuff there. Appreciate him joining us for that exclusive conversation right after Pantera played their very first show. And as I mentioned earlier, Rex Brown going through some health stuff, wishing him nothing but the best for a speedy recovery and return to the band. Next up on a double dip on this week's podcast, Tuck Smith. Tuck Smith and the Rex, uh, Restless Hearts is the name of the band. I gave you in the open a little bit of Tuck's backstory. Here he is. Check it out. How are you, Tuck? What's up, Eddie? Super great. Could not be better. How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. It's good to get a few minutes with you. As I was saying uh, in the lead-in to putting you on the air here, you know, you were on last with us probably over two years ago. At that point, we were talking about you going out there opening the stadium tour. You had an amazing record that I absolutely love that was done at that time that hadn't come out. And Unfortunately, none of that happened. The record didn't come out and the stadium tour didn't happen. Um, can you tell me and the audience what you can about why that all went down like that and what happened there? Well, obviously, I want to choose my words very, very wisely due to legal issues. So um, without being too vague, the, the protocol for the label I was on is they didn't want to release albums unless I had a shed or stadium sized tour. So once my record was done, it took almost a year to get on that Motley Crue tour. And once I got on that tour, everything was set up for release. And then COVID hit in March, shut everything down. So that tour was canceled that summer. I wait another year and touring is still not around. And they say the stadium tour is going to be canceled for a second year in a row. At this point, obviously I, I was getting, you know, very discouraged, like most artists were. And that's when kind of the troubles and the turmoil, turmoil with the label started, behind the scenes kind of stuff. And at this point, we didn't know if that tour was going to happen for the third year in a row. And so at that point, I had to make a decision. Do I want to wait three years before I release any music? Because as an artist, you've got to water it, you've got to feed it, or it dies. And I was like, man, I really want to release music. So I tried to compromise and say, hey, guys, can we put my record deal on hold? I'll self-release some music. Is there anything I can do? Can I do another EP? Just so I'm sitting here stagnant. And um, 
it got to the point where they offered to release me and I took that offer knowing that I was probably going to be dumped off the Motley Crue tour and uh, they kept the record and they gave me the option to buy it back, which I couldn't afford. And I tried to shop it and no labels wanted to really invest in a guitar rock record coming out of the pandemic. So I just said, screw it. I'm going to put my own record out. And that's kind of where the journey restarted. You know, it's interesting of you saying about your, your previous label label, which has that record, not wanting to put a record out unless you were on a major tour. I understand that, but here's the thing. And we talked about this when you were on with me, when you thought you were going to do that tour. The reality is that there were not going to be many people that would have seen you on the stadium tour if you had done it anyway, given the fact that there were would have been four bands on after you and you'd be going on at uh, whatever it is, 3 o'clock and playing 20 minutes. The band that ended up getting that slot, as you know, when that tour happened, a band called Classless Act, which I had on, and they, I, I got calls from people during that tour that told me that they – sometimes when they were playing the doors weren't even open yet on the stadium and when they finally got in there there was like a handful of people that even had the if they wanted to get in to see them that had the ability to do it and they played like 20 minutes now look it's a great spot nobody's going to turn down that opportunity but that marketing logic doesn't make a lot of sense to me given that the placement you would have had and the amount of people that would have been in there even if you would have done it I 100% agree, and my contract that I had for that tour was actually a 15-minute set. And 15? I don't want to get into the – yeah, I don't, want, I don't know what they got. I don't want to get into the politics too much, but I was, I was going to have to figure out how to raise so much money to do that tour, um, and I basically had no choice. And look, I have nothing against features or anybody, but one of the other stipulations for that tour was – I was going to have to have features on my songs on the debut album. And once again, if you want to do that as an artist, that's cool. But I didn't want that. And there was many stipulations attached to it. And um, it's a great opportunity, but I knew exactly what you said was the case. So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to risk it. And uh, yeah, immediately I was dropped from the tour. And a couple months after my book of agents left me. So, yeah. Well, you need, and by, by features, you mean guests. Like, for their record, that makes sense then because they had Vince Neil on a track and things like that. So they were looking for uh, named people to guest on a record to maybe give it a little bit of uh, extra push. And look, I get that. It's tough out there. There's so many people releasing music. Everyone's looking for a way to stand out of the pack a little bit. But my only point about that is, and it's bared out, I mean, having a fifth slot on a four band bill with four bands after you playing 15, 20 minutes, nobody's going to break after off of that. I mean, it's a great, no one's going to say no to it, but nobody's breaking off of a position like that on a tour in the summer, especially on a weekday when there could be nobody in the building. Well, it's all about the quote unquote algorithms. So um, yeah. I'm a songwriter. I don't know about the algorithms, but apparently <laughs> that's what matters. Yeah. Well, listen, man, moving on from, well, the last thing on this before we move forward is, and I've said this to you and your manager via text over the last couple of years, the record that did not come out, uh, that you now say the, your previous label owns and you couldn't find placement for it. 
Dude, you know how much I love that record. That is a phenomenal record with phenomenal songs. I hope and pray that some way, somehow, that record sees the light of day. Is there any movement on that? Uh, is there any way it ever reverts back to you? Do you think maybe if you get a new deal, maybe then that label will have the money to, to buy that record back and put it out? Because to me, it's one of the best rock records to have been made in the last 10 years, and I just hate the fact that nobody can hear it beyond the three singles that were released leading into it. Um, yeah, it's a shame. You know, we were, like I said, I don't want to repeat myself. So we were given the option to shop it and we shopped and shopped that record to indie labels and major labels and nobody bit, man. And I don't know about the contract. Maybe there's a re-record clause in five or seven years, but you know, my only hope was that my, this record is, does well and, maybe that label will want to ride off that and release the record. So it just doesn't sit there, but, um, but that's yeah, got to kill you. That's got to kill you as an artist to make a debut record that in my opinion is so strong. And I'm sure you feel strongly about it, put all that work into it. You had a major producer attached to it. I know you can't dwell on it cause you always got to keep thinking forward, but to put, I know what people like yourself as a songwriter put into crafting songs like that. It's got to, it's got to kill you to know that that thing exists as a finished product and you can't, you can't get it out there to people. Yeah. I mean, look, I try to make it look easy on the internet and fun, but so much work goes into making a record and to get it out and to get a producer like Cavallo and to write, I wrote 40 songs for that record, man. So yes, it, it was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, and it was a lot for me to let it go. So you can kind of tell for me to let that record go, the state I was in um, with the label and the pandemic. So it, it, it was a hard decision to make. Yeah, no, no doubt. Well, I hope it can see the light of day. It's a, it's a regular listen in my rotation, but I want really? so many people. You, you got a sneak peek. Oh God, I want, I wish, I, I wish people could hear it, but that being said, okay, so hopefully that thing comes out one day cause it should, but, uh, that being said, I am so glad you dusted yourself off. You persevered and you've now put out what I guess is your first official release under Tuck Smith and the restless hearts. And that is a six track EP called ballad of a misspent youth. How quickly did you start putting these songs together when everything went down? You know, was it right after everything went down that we just talked about? Or did you need a minute and kind of figure out what your next moves are going to be? So to clarify, the the vinyl is six songs. But once I did the deal, it's, I put two more songs. So it's an official old school Alice Cooper style eight song record digitally. But yes, um, it after I realized that nobody was going to buy that record back, I, you know, I was in quarantine. I, I was the, the silver lining out of it was I was able to sit at the piano or the guitar every day and write. And so I wrote two more albums worth of songs in that because I was just so emotional about my escape to kind of sit down and write. And I wrote everything in solitude. There was no outside songwriters. There was no A&R people. There was no committee. And so it was a really kind of pure process to write this record and the other songs. And Yes, my intent was I had I had a chip on my shoulder. I was really fired up and I wanted and I was like, well, I work so hard on these other songs. I've got to write new songs that are just as good or as better that compete. And yeah, we went out and shopped those demos 
again, um, to no luck. And, 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 and luckily, uh, John Greenberg and Marty Fredrickson, they started to imprint through Virgin, and they said they wanted to put out rock and roll records of the kind of music they, they loved. And, and that's what happened. So the EP is out. The, so the CD of the EP you sent me, I think, had six songs. You said the vinyl six songs, but there's an additional two songs that are digital only. Yeah, once uh, I started working with uh, this new label, uh, MRG, they said, we love the six songs. Let's make it an old school full length. So they wanted me to go back into the studio and I cut two more songs. So that vinyl and CD will be very limited. When it's repressed, it'll have the full eight songs on it. So it's kind of cool if you collect vinyl or CDs. And the the uh, the current single and video is for a song called Girls on the East Side of Town. And, you know, you and I have talked about stuff that I love, stuff that you love. Obviously, you're much younger than me, but you've got a, a, an appreciation for a lot of old school rock, which is probably why what you do connects so great with me. But uh, to me... And I'm sure you've heard this from a bunch of people. That song, the current song, Girls, the the harmony guitar lick in that, it's so Thin Lizzy, dude. Were you a Thin Lizzy fan? Did you channel that or did that just happen? <laughs> um, look, man, I wear my influences on my sleeve. Phil Lynott is one of my biggest inspirations as a songwriter. Of course, Thin Lizzy is in my musical DNA. So the biggest influences on that song was 70 Springsteen because I feel like Phil Lina and Springsteen were kindred spirits with their kind of storytelling songwriting. And mm -hmm. so to me, I kind of wanted to do a hybrid of Thin Lizzy and 70 Springsteen. Um, yeah, totally, dude. You nailed it. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. And Tuck, for, for a lot of my audience, even though you've been on before, they're probably hearing you for the first time. Even though I've talked about you, I, I played – girls on the east side of town last week on this show but um just if you can uh for people that are hearing about you for the first time can you give a little bit of your background because i know you originally started out in a band called biters and if i'm not mistaken we just talked about how things got so fucked for you with the stadium tour and that great record you made, but wasn't, and I don't know that much about the history of biters, but wasn't there some similar sort of stuff that went down that you guys kind of got derailed there as well? Yeah, man. I, I know that I'm not the only artist that had prop like label problems and turmoil. And unfortunately it's hard for me to sit down and shut the fuck up. So I buck back at the labels you know, sometimes and things happen and yes, biters, I basically, you know, had to put that on, put that to bed and kind of go solo. But yeah, I was in that band for nine years and we blazed a hell of a trail and put out some really great records and um, we're doing a lot in the UK and Europe and it was much in the same style. I had a little more of a punk influence, but it still had the vein of 70s glam and classic rock and power pop in that as well. You know, I've not heard that stuff to this day. Are the, those records still available? Yeah, they're um, yeah for streaming. I think you would really like it. I really do. Yeah, I got to listen to it because I, I heard about the band when you were doing it, but I've never really heard the music. So I I, I got to go back and and check some of that out because I heard nothing but good things about it. But that that band is for now a dead issue for you. Yes, I've just moved on, and the members are in other bands, and um, yeah, it's it's done with. I don't own the rights to that or anything right. or the name. So, 
So going like forward now, man. what what are you as far as live shows? I I mean I follow you on socials. I know that you you're based in Nashville now, and occasionally you have a date there and a few things you'll pop up. I think I think you played. I don't know if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you played at a crew one of the cruises or something recently. So so tell me about the live shows with the band. What's coming up, and maybe some of the stuff you've done recently. Right. Yeah, we just announced a Nashville show here, and we're about to announce an Atlanta show, so some regional. But I just uh, started working with CAA, uh, two great agents, Jeff Rasco, Jared Martin, and uh, I'm already starting to get some festival dates locked in for early summer, and I'm up for a lot of tours. So I'm really feeling confident that 2023 I can get back to where I was pre-pandemic, which is a beautiful thing, yeah, I'm telling you, man, I got a lot of respect for you, not only because of your music and what a fan I am of it, but your perseverance. I mean, you, 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 to get knocked down a couple times, you only keep coming back stronger, and this EP is phenomenal. So congratulations. Well, now full album, as you said, eight songs. Um, so congratulations on that, man. I really hope you can break through because I think, um, you know, I think what you're doing is killer. Thanks, buddy. You know, your support means a lot to me, especially for the kind of style of music I'm doing. There's only a handful of bands across the globe, uh, and you're a big voice. So to be able to put this on your pedestal, man, is killer. Thank you. Well, like I was telling my audience before, I mean, uh, there's so there's so many artists out there right now, and you know, it's like it's really hard for fans to find the good stuff because anybody can literally put out music now in so many different ways. So I, for me, I got to be real selective and cherry pick. And I, the only way I get, I just get excited because I'm still a music fan and I'm a rock fan. And when I hear stuff, that's great. Uh, when I started 40 years ago, that's what it was about sharing it with people. And back then I was doing it and I'm still doing it. And that's the thing that motivates me, man. Just at the end of the day, just like you, when, you know, being a music fan, I mean, there's nothing that fires you up more than just hearing great music, whether it's new or classic, right? A hundred percent. I'm always looking for that feeling it gets when I get something to chill bumps. But I will say, I, I wish you were still an A&R guy, Eddie. That wasn't <laughs> my record. <laughs> well, Tuck, I said that when your when your record when your this record that still hasn't come out went down, I actually tweeted that because I did work for a label for four years, and I was like. If I was in if I was in A and R, I'd sign this guy yesterday and put this record out because, uh, again, I mean, look, I mean, I know you, but we, I don't, we've never even met. I don't know you that well. It's not about anything except for how great and how much I believe in what you're doing. So, if I ever do get, I give you this: if I ever do go into the label world again, which is highly unlikely, um, you know, that records that first record's coming out, and you know, we're putting Trouble Paradise out as a single, and we're going, buddy. <laughs> Uh, you know, you know, Trunk Records does have a good ring to it. <laughs> you can see the logo; it'd be like an elephant trunk spinning around. It could be the whole thing. I, I like it. At fifty-eight, I'm let's starting go. a record company. That's just what I need. Let's go! Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> well, listen, man. Um, thanks for a few minutes. Everybody, check out Tuck's music. The album is out right now. Again, it's called "Ballad of a Misspent Youth," and the current single is called "Girls on the East Side of Town." And you can hear it, um, you know, streaming services. And if people want it physically, talk. where do they go? Uh, right now, I'm selling it through a, a merch company called Merch Mountain. And it's on my website. And um, I signed a bunch. We got vinyl, CDs, 
and all that money goes back into the project to keep it going. So it's very, uh, what is it, farm to table, I should say. So, yeah. Support. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and by the way, thank you for sending me those T-shirts. I will absolutely wear them and be representing for you out there as well. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you, man. Well, listen, man, hopefully I'll get to see you soon. I'm dying to see the band play live soon and uh, hang in there and, and, and know, keep Eddie, chipping away. Buddy, I, I hate to break it to you, but I don't really play live. I just limp seek and I play to a bunch of backing tracks. So you might not <laughs> want to come see the show. Good one. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, no, no. no I, I know can't you're backing tracks. So. <laughs> <laughs> you can't afford a laptop. <laughs> Hey, kids, if you want to get into rock and roll, don't expect to be able to buy a laptop. <laughs> That's a good one, man. Tuck, thank you thank so you. much, man. Well, love what that guy does, and I've yet to see him play live, so I hope to be able to do so soon, and I really enjoy the music he's made. I really hope somewhere down the line that album that he did that got shelved comes out because I can tell you from having had it, it is a great record, as is the new EP. So be sure to check out what's out there uh, from Tuck. There's some music videos. There's actually three songs from that first album that are on YouTube with videos and everything because they were released prior to the record being pulled. So you can get a sense of, uh, of that first record from that and then pick up the new album, which is out now, and uh, hopefully get a chance to see him playing out there. Some new music, newer artists to certainly keep an eye open for, Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast this week. Again, if you're in the U.S. or Canada, please come on board and join me for Sirius XM. My daily show, Trunk Nation, is heard Monday through Friday, live 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific, on channel 103. That's Faction Talk. You can also listen anytime you want on the Sirius XM app. Just put Trunk Nation in the app. And hey, the holidays are almost here. If you don't have Sirius XM, maybe a, a good gift. For somebody to give you put it on your list and join me for the daily trunk nation as we talk rock with you every single day thanks to joel pollock for producing the podcast thank you for listening wherever you're doing so in the world have a great week and i'll catch you next thursday for another brand new episode